We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Rage of is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, of course, the uh, other Rob, hop. I'm Rob, the other hop. That's right. Rob Van Hop. How's it going, brother? Well, well I, I'm really happy to hear our intro. Makes me laugh. It makes yeah. me smile every time. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been well, what, three weeks for you now? Yeah, it just feels good. feels good to be back in the saddle. Back in the set, back in the back in the pilot seat. Um, let's see here. Somebody in the chat room already said that we should announce that the chat room's open. Um, well, the chat room's open. Everybody, go I'll, to it. I, I'll do it on Facebook. I think that's what he's talking about. I, I'm, I'm already on Facebook. Hang oh, on, just cool. a sec. Chat room. I'm making the announcement right now. Live is open. People, come join us. Uh, I suppose I should put a link in there too, eh? Yeah, you need to. We need to ping Adam Smith. <laughs> uh, so it's been a long time. I feel like it's been forever. Yeah. Uh, since we've been on air, but we've had. Oh, now, what have you been doing, man? A lot. I know. I know a lot's changed in the Van Hoff house. Tell me a little bit about what's been going on. You guys got a new. Uh, a Without, new. They had to turn our water off this morning for some reason. What? Yeah, the the neighbor across the street. There's like a truck out there, and so we're. This morning, I'm filling up all these like pitchers and things with water. <laughs> I had to make sure the coffee machine had plenty of water in it. So, anyway, but yeah, it's been great. We we got a new puppy. We're excited about. That's York- what I'm talking about. Yeah, little Yorkie named Cooper. Cooper. That was my wife's idea, and uh, <laughs> but it's a cute little name. He's a cute little guy. He's gonna be a lot of fun. It's uh, how old God, is he? God makes some. Just cute little animals. That's all I can say. That's for sure. Um, he's he is thirteen weeks old. So what point? Brand, brand new little guy there. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I suppose we should say hi to everybody. What up and shalom to everybody in the chat room. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you want to join, if you're listening to this, you want to join the conversation with us live. You can do so Wednesday mornings, ten a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go to trradio.com on the broadcast, uh, hover over the broadcast button, and go down to the Robin Caleb Show. Then click the chat room button right in the lower right-hand corner. Okay. And, of course, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by torresource.com. There's a lot of different people and a lot of different minds and hands that go into creating this podcast for everyone. And we thank everyone for being a part of it, including Gary Springer. And Mark Randall, you guys are great. We love you both. All right. Um, so, I like I said, it's been a couple of weeks, and normally we don't get time off. And I really took the time 
And we thank you, everyone, who uh, sends us messages. Uh, I had a number of people at my congregation walk up to me and say, are you guys OK? Yeah, me too. <laughs> people asking, hey, what happened? <laughs> and I, I simply said, well, I've been reading a lot, which has been really nice. I, uh, you know, I took the time. Now, Rob had already told me that he was going to have some time off. He needed some time off to go pick up his little New Yorkie. And, uh, and where'd you guys go to do that? You went to Vantage? Oh, that- Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right out in the middle of nowhere, Nowheresville. We we rendezvoused with the with the the person we got them from. Dude, Vantage is awesome. I love Vantage. Do you? Yeah, it's over by the gorge. Yeah, it was right on the wa- right on the Columbia River. It's absolutely gorgeous. We, we actually met there at, at, near a boat launch and kind of splashed around in those real shallow water a little bit. I uh, one of my birthdays, I uh, uh, I rented a sea doo. And oh, went, yeah? out, went out on the Columbia River right there. It was uh, it was it was absolutely excellent. It's a it's an amazing river. That whole that whole uh, cut through there, you know, is is really pretty. It's some of the most gorgeous uh, landscape you see, uh, at least at least uh, on the West Coast, in my opinion. Uh, and I don't know if you have you ever caught a show there at the Gorge. No. Oh, you got to catch a show at the Gorge. I just have been. It's. Uh, I don't know if I'm up for it. Well, I, you know, maybe, yeah, admittedly, the older I get, the less uh, inviting uh, a concert venue like that uh, uh, seems to be. Uh, it holds about 40,000 people, and it looks right down. The, the backdrop to the stage is the Columbia River and the gorge itself. The music goes down and kind of comes out out of that, uh, out of that ravine. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing. And and maybe only second, and you know I think it's as gorgeous, if not better, than Red Rocks in Colorado. I know we're totally off on a tangent here, but uh, yeah, if if you like good music, try catching a show at one of those places. Uh, God's amphitheaters are always the best. Okay, so uh, back to it. We took uh, we took some time off. I took the time to read, and I actually read a couple of very interesting books. First of all, I read Paul Divine. Paul's Divine Christology by Chris Tilling, which was absolutely excellent. Now, I should tell you, I actually, I've, I've been in conversation with Dr. Tilling. Uh, he lives over in Europe, in England, and uh, he has uh, expressed some, I don't know if I'd say interest, but he's said basically that he'd be willing to come on the Robin Caleb show and uh, talk about his book, which I'm very excited for. So I don't really want to ruin anything for anybody. However, I will tell you this, if you do not have a fairly decent uh, <laughs> understanding of Greek. Uh, if you can't work in Greek fairly fairly well, uh, it's going to be a difficult book for you to read. Uh, Dr. Tilling certainly seems to have written it for scholars and not for the layperson. And the reason I say that is because um, he, he gives you full passages of Greek with absolutely no uh, translation at all. <laughs> so he just, yeah, which I don't, I don't mind that necessarily. Uh, but if you, you know, but if you are not proficient in Greek, be, uh, ready to have your Bible ready, uh, to try to figure out exactly what he's trying to say. And the whole, the whole book itself is actually geared more towards the grammar of Paul's writings. Uh, did you read that book? Two as well. Yeah, he he interacts. I actually have a copy right here. He it is uh, Erdman's. I think is it two thousand what? It's it's pretty new. Two thousand twelve. Yeah. 
Yeah, and actually, one of the uh, one here's, of the here's a picture of it. Well, here, and, the, uh, the, the interesting thing is, is that this year at the Evangelical Theological Society, which Rob and I ever uh, go to every year, uh, this year's theme is every year they have a theme, and uh, this year's theme last year it was like it was it was uh, Gary Springer just had a heyday because it was like uh, family counseling or something something like that. Uh, and to me, I, while I'm very happy that there are people like uh, Gary Springer who really have made that their passion, somebody has to do it. It certainly is not my passion. However, this year, the theme is going to be the Trinity. Now, this is something that I'm overly excited for. And I hope Dr. Tilling is going to be there and speak. Okay, I cut you off. I apologize. Well, I imagine he will be. Yeah, that would be nice. Anyway, keep going. What did what, you think? What did you think of the book? The other book I'm reading here. Oh no, 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 no! Go back. Go, 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 go back. They, go back. I want to hear. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, yeah. Um, Doctor Tilling interacts with um, scholars who have written on how Paul talks about Messiah. How does Paul talk about Jesus, Yeshua? And he interacts with Larry Hurtado, who's written a lot. Um, I've got he, a huge. He's uh, kind of a. He's kind of a go-to he, on the Trinity. So he's interacted with a lot of, um, you know, the recent trends in Christian scholarship about how Paul talks about Messiah, and he advances the the field a little bit. I think, um, and basically, I think he advances uh, it a lot. He has some great. He, things he basically to say. shows that, and, and what I've seen, I haven't finished the book, but he basically shows that Paul talks about Yeshua. In the same way that, uh, with respect to idolatry and other things, in the same way that God in, quote, the Old Testament is related with, uh, interacts with, uh, like it's forbidden, you know, idolatry, with respect to idolatry. I'm kind of messing this up. But basically that uh, Paul has a, what, what you would call a very high Christology, or I don't know if, even though it, uh, Tilling doesn't, I don't know if he uses high Christology. It's, he it's doesn't. Yeah, he but doesn't. He, he basically says that uh, in Paul's mind, the way, like the Lord's table, for example, versus the table of demons, right? You can't have both of these. Uh, it's one or the other. You, serving Yeshua means you have to abandon idolatry. And that is God talk, right? That's, that's, that means you're talking about God, right? Um, Anyway, that would be awesome if we could uh, have him on the show and he could fix how I just blundered. Trying to <laughs> well, <Sorry>. yeah, well, <laughs> I, and, and I'll just say the one thing that I really liked about, uh, hey, look, it's it's uh, Andre's in the chat room. Good to see you in there, brother. A long time no see. Okay, anyway, uh, the, the one thing I, I like about him is what he what uh, Tilling is, is trying to do in his book. Paul's divine Christology. In my, at least, what I took away from it, and you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a great scholar by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I, I feel like a lot of it was actually over my head, and maybe that's one reason it'd be great to have Doctor Tilling on the show is to be able to uh, kind of tell me what I missed. <laughs> but, but the point uh, that I, I took away from the book is that, uh, is that he, he talks about the God relation that people had uh, in, in the time of the. Old Testament and uh, just in Judaism in general, first century Judaism, the quote unquote God relation. And then what he does is in his book, you know, what uh, Dr. Tilling does is he attempts to set up what he calls the Christ relation. 
And so uh, I hope that we'll be able to get him on the show in the next couple of weeks, and, and he can tell us more about what the Christ relation is, how that uh, works out within Paul's Christology. Another book that I uh, started reading while we were on break was a book called Paul and the Trinity. And as I said, since the ETS is uh, is gearing up to have a uh, the theme be the Trinity, uh, all the papers will, well, not all, but most of the papers will be geared in some way, shape, or form towards that theme. And so uh, Wesley Hill, I believe it's Dr. Wesley Hill, I could be wrong on that, but Wesley Hill is the one who uh, wrote Paul and the Trinity. And I didn't realize, we did not share cliff notes at all, but uh, Rob, you started reading this book at the exact same time I did, didn't you? Yeah, one morning we started talking and we were both talking about the same ideas. And we're like, oh, we're reading the same book, that's why. <laughs> What'd you, what have you thought so far? I like it. Uh, now, did did I, you get all the way through more, it? It's, it's a, they're both published by Erdbonds. It's a little more, um, I, I don't want to say it's not scholarly because it's absolutely scholarly. It's geared I think more it, to the average person, a little, I think. A little more accessible yes. to, to those who are interested. You still have to be interested enough. It's not, it's not an easy read, but it's not as uh, in let's, the weeds. Let, let's, put it, as let's, let, let's put it this way. Uh, Wesley Hill uh, translates his Greek. Doctor Tilling does not. <laughs> if that's any, you know, if that, if that helps anyone out there, um, yeah. But I, the nice thing is, is that so. And actually, I kind of wish that I would have read the books in reverse. I wish I would have read Paul and the Trinity first, and then Doctor Tilling's book. And the only reason I say that is because what uh, what Wesley Hill does is he has a way of explaining some of these other arguments that kind of uh, have made me say, aha. And if I would have had the aha moment before I went into Dr. Tilling's book, I feel like I would have been able to uh, maybe navigate a little bit better within his book. Uh, but I, I don't, I assume, you know. Maybe we could see, reach out to Dr. Hill. Also. Oh, I, I, I plan on doing so. I want to read his whole book, though. And, and yeah, when we get our ETS and SBL uh, layout, you know, schedule, we should definitely look. See if we could interview these guys. If if oh, not absolutely. before then, while in uh, while well, at ETS, I'd love to. I'd love to uh, sit, uh, to have these guys on the show with us. And then uh, you know, honestly, I just take these guys out for for lunch or something or dinner one of these nights. We can all have a we can all talk uh, divine Christology at uh, at the dinner table. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, this is so everybody's listening to Rob and Caleb's uh, chat plan here. This is fine. That's right. And uh, so then the other book that I uh, that I started reading, which uh, and I maybe this is boring for everyone uh, hearing about the books that we're reading. However, uh, you know that's what we're doing. So get used to it. Um, the other book that I'm reading is uh, The Bondage of the Will by uh, Martin Luther. And I gotta say, man. Talk about not pulling any punches. Yeah, I, I told Rob, I, I feel a little bit like I relate <laughs> a little bit to Luther. You know, he says things in this book that are just hilarious. I think they're really funny. I know I before I start getting all these emails, I know I know that uh, especially at the end of his life, um, uh, Martin Luther. Yeah, this was, is not an endorsement. I'm of... not endorsing Martin Luther's uh, theology across the board. Um, however, some of the things he has to say obviously are very good, and uh, he was certainly the champion. Uh, I think, in many respects, he was the champion of the uh, the Reformation, and uh, so for that, I have to thank him. 
in other ways, though, obviously, uh, he wrote against the Jews and their heresy. I think that's the name of it, uh, which I have not read. However, I have read excerpts from, and he is uh, not very happy with the Jewish people by the time he wrote that. Uh, but I've been enjoying this as well. So, okay. And uh, just so everyone knows, I have a couple of books here that uh, can be referenced at any time. Uh, got new reference books for the Robin Caleb show, just in case we need to reference anything. Uh, these are two little books that I picked up. These are both by IVP Academic. Um, and the one is called, the first one is called Pocket Dictionary of Theological Terms. So if we ever have any, uh, any questions, we can go straight to the book. And the second one, perhaps even more uh, pertinent to the conversations that we will hopefully be having here in the next few weeks, will be the Pocket Dictionary of the Reformed Tradition. And so this, uh, I've looked through, it's just a dictionary, essentially, of uh, various terms written by uh, people who hold to Reformed theology. Anyway, so... Uh, and then I also picked up this beauty at the ETS last year, and I just pulled it back off my shelf. It is pocket size, uh, leather bound. It was way more expensive than I wanted to pay for something so small, but it is called the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, which we will talk about in a little bit here. Okay, so all that to say, we're happy to be back, and uh, yeah, uh, we're happy that you're listening again. Okay, so uh, while we were gone, uh, let me get here to <laughs> now. You know, Caleb, let me ask you a question. Let's yes. pause for a second. Go for it. Brother. We just talked about a lot of books that we're reading. Yeah, and I'm I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm I I'm reading I might be reading close to ten different books right now simultaneously. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, well, in the body Messiah, God raises up teachers, right? And we were talking about this in, in our, we were finishing our, our reading last night in our second year Greek. So this is students who have been at least two years. One of them had been it's the end of their third year of Greek. And we were talking about disciples means learner, right? Whether it's in, in Greek or in Hebrew, the word means to, to be a learner. It means we're learning. And we were talking about how, how engaged, uh, this is it's like a challenge, you know, to people who say they believe in Yeshua. What are you doing about it in terms of educating yourself, in, in, in terms of not just seeing yourself, oh, I'm saved, I believe in Jesus, but I am on a lifetime walk that in the, uh, a part of which is education is really important, learning and seeing myself as a disciple, as a learner, and that I start to learn by interacting with voices from the, all of biblical history. Just like we were talking, we, we spanned from, we talked about Martin Luther, we've talked about, you know, Chris Tilling, we've, uh, you know, all this vast array of people that we interact with. It doesn't mean we agree with everything. That, that's not why we study. We don't study a person's writings because we agree with everything. Because we trust that the Ruach HaKodesh is going to help us learn to grow in our discernment, to hold on to what is good and to throw away what is bad. And the only way we can develop that skill is by just diving in and starting to study, right? 
um, you, you just have to study and developing good study habits is really important. And one aspect of our life as students is reading. Is reading. I really believe that. I, and, and I don't mean that everybody has to grab like Dr. Tilling's book and be able to read the Greek. You know, that's great. And if you've got a passion for that, then aim for it and, and just keep pursuing it. But at least pursue a, a trajectory of growth where you're going to challenge yourself by interacting with ideas based that people are talking about the Word of God, chewing on it, and moving into a greater maturity uh, of thinking about God's Word and a sophistication about uh, of how complex the history is. Like you mentioned Martin Luther. Yeah, we might get emails. Someone could take a clip. Oh, oh here's Caleb Haig saying, quote, uh, Martin Luther, yeah, some of this stuff he writes is really funny, unquote. Oh, and then, they, and then they put that next to something that Luther wrote late in life, and it's like, see, Caleb Hegg's laughing at what Martin Luther wrote? You know, that would, that's the kind of junk that we need to learn to, to move beyond. Okay, so uh, now on this, on this vein, okay, because now a lot of people, I think a lot of people thought that we took a break because of some of the criticism we got from the Rico Cortez thing. That's not why we took a break, by the way. Um, I think maybe some people thought we got our feelings hurt or something like that. Uh, that was not the case. Um, anyway, um, a lot of people, so what you're saying, a lot of people actually accuse us of doing. And this is one reason that we got the show notes going, right? We started doing the show notes because people started saying, oh, no, you j- you're taking that clip out of context. So when we send the show notes out, it has links of pe- the whole, whatever the person said, it's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that way people can check it out. Um, and yeah. so this actually hits a little bit on, on the topic that we're going to talk about today. And that is, we've talked before, okay, so we've talked before on this show about uh, about Calvinism versus Arminianism. We've talked on this show before about Messianic Judaism versus Hebrew roots. And we're going to touch, we're going to come back and we're going to touch those things because, I, again, because I think that uh, this is actually... This show topic that we have is probably going to span into several weeks at least. And so uh, I want to set everyone up with what, you know, exactly where we're going with all this. So the question that has been posed to me recently several times is, can you please recommend somebody in the Messianic slash Hebrew roots that you recommend? Or do you think that the only people in this movement that have good teaching is Torah resource. In other words, do you think that you're the only, you know, are you so high and mighty that you think that you guys are the only ones who got it right? I have an answer, but go ahead. I don't know. Please. I want to, I'm, I'm, let's hear I, your I, answer. I would say, re, let's, let send me the bibliography, send me the list of books that are on your shelf. That's what I would tell the person. Send me a list of what's in your library, or I would say, tell me the books you've read in the last three months, and, I, and tell me about them. And I'd start there. Well, we get, and we, then I would start recommending out, outward from that. I would, I would try to recommend them, scholars, Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, Messianic scholars, secular scholars, to try to help them stretch out their knowledge base. 
That's what I would do. Okay, so my answer what is... I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I feel what you're throwing down, brother. Are you picking up what I'm <laughs> <laughs> I wish... I, I feel like... Oh, and you know, I'm sure that people are going to say, where's the Rob's Gematria? You know, now, Rob decided this on his own. He said, uh, I, think, uh, I think the Rob's Gematria has run its course. Actually, I, I was playing around with Gematria, and I came up with a really scary message, and I... I I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> wow. I thought I better stop... <laughs> Bad. Okay. Read your Bible as interpreted by experts. Okay, so uh, although although I did read, I'm read one of the books I'm reading is called Men of Silk. Men yeah. of Silk. It's uh, like 2006, Oxford University. It's a, a a Jewish historian who knows not only Hebrew and Yiddish but Polish and Russian, and has gone back and looked at the rise of Hasidism in the 18th century and and. Not looking at them from the eyes of the insiders, where you have all these, they're all saints doing miracles and all this kind of stuff, and it's like heavy charisma, but from the, from the historical sources of finances, business, and all the things that gave the Hasidism its kind of mobility and power from an economic perspective. Anyway, th- there was a talk about one rabbi who was using uh, gematria in Polish language, one Hasidic rabbi was doing gematria on polish words to come up with uh specific meanings i thought that was interesting so it's not it was it was in a hasidic context a jewish mystical hasidic context but it wasn't even hebrew it was polish interesting anyway just a footnote on that's my rob's gematria for today there you go it's it's just an anecdote from history okay so the my answer to the question about hebrew roots messianic teachers uh, and, you know, this idea that we constantly beat up on the Hebrew roots messianic uh, uh, teachers. My answer is a lot more, a lot more roundabout. And I'll, I'll make a pointed answer in a bit. But um, so I, I was on I was on Facebook. I was I was in the dumpster <laughs> doing some dumpster diving. And I came across this post by someone. Now, I don't even remember what the post is about. But in the comments section, there was this. There was this uh, conversation going on, and I'm not going to name the, the lady's name, even though it was public. I won't name the name. This is what she says. Listen to this. Now, there is a lot. She wrote a book here, okay? And I, I interacted with her, but I, I'll try to edit as best I can uh, without editing, really. Okay, so she says, uh, Christians are not brethren, period. That's how she starts her post. Christians are not brethren, period, nor any person who mixes and mingles wholly with the profane, no matter what label they call themselves. And then she, she quotes Matthew twelve forty six through 50, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside. This is the passage where he says, no, you know, this, he points to his disciples, he says, this is my mother, this is my brother. Okay, so she goes on. And what is the will of the Father that people should be doing now that's in caps. I'm I'm putting emphasis where she's put emphasis. Doing, and then she puts Psalm forty, uh, verse eight. I delight to do your will, O Elohim. O my Elohim. This is her translation. Your Torah is within my heart. That's the end of her first post. So somebody else interacts with her, and this got my uh, this kind of got my my mind going in in a specific direction. Somebody else interacts with her, and she. Uh, uh, they say, have you forgotten about mercy or loving kindness and these kind of things? And this person writes back. She says, 
No, I've not forgotten his mercy and loving kindness, but rather I've come to learn and accept his definitions instead of what seems right in my own eyes and in the eyes of many people who teach and preach great error. <clears throat> yod vav his mercy and loving kindness is not about loopholes and grading on a curve. His mercy and loving kindness is that we are afforded or allowed to come back to him at all. This is what Yeshua came to do, make redemption possible. But it is on his terms. He has always wanted a set apart people who were and are willing to love him as he defines it. He is sovereign, not us. Okay, so at this point, I jumped in because I think that this is an interesting thread. Um, first of all, I looked at this person's uh, Facebook profile. It seems as though this person is steeped either in Hebrew roots or Messianic Judaism. I would assume Hebrew roots because they have their Facebook banner says Aleph Tav across the top of it. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing this is a uh, I'm guessing this is an, uh, a Hebrew roots kind of a person. Maybe I'm wrong. Could be wrong on that. Okay, so um, I come in and I say, well, what about, you know, are you saying that it sounds like you're preaching a Catholic doctrine of salvation by works? That is, the, uh, you know, that we have to keep Torah or else we're not saved. And she writes back, and this is quite long, so I'll try to, I'll try to make this shorter. She says, uh, nope, you were wrong about that. I'm a, I am not. And I said, basically, if you're – now, and this is a question that I had for Michael – uh, our, our newest employee at Torah Resource, uh, his desk is very close to mine. I asked him the same question I asked my father and uh, Rob several months ago, which is, what's the difference between Hebrew roots and Messianic? Now, I'm, I'm, I, think I, got, I think I got a decent answer because of Mike. Michael actually helped answer this for me. Um, but basically, I said, look, um, you know, uh, if you believe in Jesus, let's use the term the way that the term is used today. Christianity is a broad term, right? What do you think of when you think Christianity, Rob? I think it's just as messy as messianic. <laughs> really. Oh, sure. I mean, I guess where in my area where I live, it's I think I think evangelical megachurch in where I live. I, I mean, that's the first thing that I think of is how people in in my area think of the term. Okay, so but when you say evangelical, what do you mean by that? Because I mean, we could keep breaking this down, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. These word, each of these words is really fuzzy. And not only that, but we've talked many, 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 many times on this show before about how uh, you know Jehovah's Witnesses, the uh, the Mormons, uh, they they all you know and. They all call themselves Christians. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that uh, that Yeshua is a lesser Yodhe, you know, he, a lesser a created, God, a created he, being, a created being. Like there was a time when he was not. In other words, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, re- I reject that. Yeah, of course. So, but I mean, all these all these people are considered Christian, right? So. My, I guess my, if we're going to use the the term Christian as the as broad as the term has become, what would we say? Some form of belief and honor of Jesus, the Messiah, or Yeshua, the Messiah. Yeah. Now, what? What? Because that doesn't denote the way divinity, some, right? 
right, comparative religion terminology would say it's a Christocentric soteriology. What that means is a conception of salvation for which Christ is center. That, that is one way that people, uh, you know, on a scholarly level, to try to describe. Fair enough, and I'm with you on that. Okay, so, so in that regard, now, now my good friend Adam Smith, who, by the way, I think, hang on, let's see, is Adam, oh man, Adam is slacking. Adam is uh, not in the chat room today. So Adam and I had this conversation when he was here for Passover. We were talking about uh, we were talking about the the label Christianity, and so he was saying, "Can we really say that we're Christians?" Because basically, he was talking about what he calls check boxes. Okay, I can check off the idea of deity. Are you a, mis- are you a Democrat or are you Republican? Exactly. You have, you have to pick one. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they kind of put you in a corner. You have to pick one of these. And so, so what Adam was saying was, yeah, we can start checking off these boxes. Do I believe in Jesus? Check. Do I believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Check. Do I believe that Jesus is divine? Check. Do I believe in sola scriptura or the, you know, do I believe in the five solas? Check. Okay. So at this point, when we're talking to Christians and, it, you know, let's just say, let's use another broad term, evangelical Christianity. When we're talking to evangelical Christians, we've checked enough boxes that they're saying, yeah, you're a Christian. Okay. But then what Adam said, now I don't, know if I agree with this or not, but what Adam said is, his, his argument was, okay, but then when we keep checking off boxes, this is where it goes awry. Because we believe in that sanctification through Torah, check. Now, all of a sudden, that puts us in a, you know, now the Christian is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't know. I don't know if we're really... See, but in my mind, that doesn't discount, that doesn't disqualify some, someone from being, from being, set, uh, from being called a Christian. Right. Now, I agree that the, the word is so muddied that we don't like to use it anymore. I guess the question that I'm starting to ask is, should I consider myself a Christian or not? Now, I know that there's all these all this baggage that comes along with it. So I ask this lady, I say, you know, the very broadest uh, sense of the word Christian can't would you consider, you know, aren't aren't you a Christian, too? She says, no, I'm not a Christian. You can think that if you like, but you are way off. I believe in Yeshua Messiah, not the Christian concept called Jesus. And I believe that the Torah is, in effect, rele- relevant and to be studied and obeyed. Okay, so di- okay, but then we get to canon. Because everything, you li- everything we talk about in the checklist box is content of faith. It's content of, of belief. It's knowledge. It's facts. It's, it's a collection of things that we hold to be true. But then there's another, the other important side, and it's equally or maybe more important, is trusting in Yeshua. In other words, living every moment of your life all in on his resurrection life, who he is, trusting that he's going to work out the problems that you're having in your life. He's the one who has it covered. He knows where you're headed. And, and that's where we, you know, being bombarded with all these messages from the world, he's our anchor. And that's, that's another definition of belief and trust in him. So there could be people who have, who they'll sit there and they'll check all these boxes off. But we might say that th- that person is, doesn't have a, a, an actual living 
born from above relationship with the living resurrected Messiah. They, they have knowledge and they could maybe even argue and they could say they believe these things. But are they walking in the Shema? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, you are invested in relating all your value, your treasure is, is in the risen Messiah. I mean, that's another aspect of faith or belief that we also want to remember not to mar- you know, push that out of the conversation. I, I love this. I uh, I pulled Adam into the chat room. He must have been listening without being in the chat. He says, "Now I, I I'll give him uh, I give him his wor- his own words here, so because I tried to say what he was saying, but possibly not very well. Uh, apparently not very well." He says, "We are not disqualified, but by their own check boxes, we are quote outside of their broad use of the term." They would say we are outside of them because of our eating habits, our view toward Torah, the Sabbath, tzitzit, not outside of the broad term Christian, but outside of the common practice of Christianities. And so basically what, what I think, and, and I, I can agree with this. So if I start going to, I start going to the Lutheran church or the Episcopal church down the road, it's not going to take more than a month before somebody comes to me and says, okay, what's, what gives? You know, are you going to be part of us or not? Are you going to conform to us or not? So with this, with this lady, I want to go back here real quick. So I, I said to her, because I do not share this opinion with this, with this lady, I, uh, I think that there are many within the Christian church who are doing better work for the kingdom than most people in the Hebrew roots slash messianic movements. We'll get to that in a little bit. But um, I think that, uh, that there are some true God-fearing men uh, within, within uh, Christianity. So I bring up some people like Spurgeon, like uh, Calvin, like uh, you know, some, some others, uh, some modern-day people. Uh, she says Christianity does not teach Torah. And I also said, you know, Christianity does teach Torah. It, I, yeah, Christianity teaches, if we're going to use the term Christianity, it teaches that weightiest matters of the Torah are absolutely going to be found in any thriving, quote, Christian church. Well, and let's, uh, maybe that's not necessarily the case across the board. However, let's say that within evangelical Christianity, there is a set of rules. They don't like putting the label Torah on it, right? Right. But gossip is is uh, not right. Lying is not right. Murder is not right. Adultery is not right. And these are not things that you find in the, uh, you know, the four laws given in Acts 15. Uh, there's way more uh, put on to the people of God than these four laws in Acts 15. Right, and what, they, they won't call it Torah because it's they've right. It's not part of their symbolic universe. Modern day Christianity won't call it Torah, but if you look back even a hundred years, they would say that we we conform to the law of God. Right. Yeah. Like if you get into early Reformed. It's and, not and, even early know, reform. Look, look back at the uh, at the late 1800s. Well, I mean, and, and tracing the reformed tradition, you will definitely see law in that way. Yeah. Sure. And so, so really, what are we talking about? And I've said this many times on this show as well. We're talking about three main issues. Now, eschatology could be considered a fourth issue because it's cer- this certainly affects our eschatology, uh, and we'll g- get into that later too. But the the point is, is that. Really, when we talk about Torah observance in modern-day believers' communities, what are we talking about? We're talking about 
eating kosher. That's number one. That's one of the things. So eating kosher, Sabbath observance, okay? And that's like one of the big hangups because we're talking about Saturday over Sunday. And then festivals, which would be uh, Christianity and Easter versus Passover and right. Yom Kippur. Sukkot, right. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, Caleb, is that even though we might agree with those in, quote, Hebrew roots, they don't see sovereignty of God as Torah obedience. Okay, wait. Hey, th- I agree with you. They I, see it. They see personal choice as taught in the Torah. Agreed. In general, in general it, it, I, now I'm, I'm not going to quote. I don't have any quotes to give anybody, but it's a general sense I get interacting. People can read the reviews I've written on different books and things that interact with teachers who take that free will position. I don't see free will taught in the Torah, and the, but we see people quote touting a quote messianic worldview that are holding on to free will. And that's I, a problem yeah. for me. Agreed. Well, and actually, I want to go back, because you said we might agree with people in the Hebrew roots. This is starting to get to the... To the well, I mean, on, on some of those issues you point out, Sabbath, right? Sure, know. sure. But this is, this, is what I'm, this is the core of the issue that I'm getting to now. You know, when I look at... Back to the question of who would you recommend from the Hebrew roots messianic faith? Okay, so within the Hebrew roots movement, and I asked Mike who might be joining us as soon as he gets here. He's, he, he, has, he had some other things uh, going on. But I asked Mike, what's the difference between Hebrew roots and Messianic? This has been a favorite question of mine recently uh, to people. And it's interesting some of the, some of the answers that I've gotten. Uh, I had a uh, – recently I was on the phone with a uh, Itzhak Shapira, a friend of Itzhak Shapira, who basically said what I've, I heard my dad say at one point, which is that uh, you know, the Hebrew roots kind of picked up all the weird stuff, you know, sacred name, all this kind of stuff, uh, two house, uh, you know, flat earth. If it's crazy, it's in the Hebrew roots. Okay, well, I disagree with that. However, what Mike said was two house almost all the time denotes some form of two house theology. What do you mean? Two house always has two house I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hebrew roots always has. Hebrew roots. Sorry. Let me say oh. it again. Hebrew roots always has some form of two house theology. Almost always. Now, I would say maybe always. And actually, the last show that we did on this, uh, Messianic faith versus Hebrew roots faith, what's the difference? Okay. We had a show on that. You can go check that out. I think it's called Hebrew roots versus Messianic. Anyway, uh, and I think it's show 99. Anyway, um, we had a show on this, and some guy wrote in, and you can find this in your show notes. Let me see if I can find my show notes real quick. Okay, so um, it's the one called The Barking Fox, What is Torah Anyway? Now, if you go to this, this guy has some what might be considered some decent things to say. He's talking about sanctification through Torah. He's talking about some other things. Uh, that set apart the Hebrew roots. He's not, now, he's not talking about uh, Messianic versus Hebrew roots necessarily. He's, you know, but instantly, one of the first things that he does is references Strong's numbers. So this clearly uh, denotes Hebrew roots in some ways. Uh, and we'll talk about that too in a few seconds. But the point is, is that this guy, whether or not he brings it up or not, whether or not it's blatant, he references a bunch of two-house teachers. And so when when we talk when we've been getting criticism for people like Rico Cortez who now with this definition of 
of uh, Hebrew roots being a two house, uh, Rico Cortez would be Rico Cortez would be Hebrew roots. And a lot of the other people that we've uh, criticized uh, for blatant error in their theology have been two house as well, or have been uh, two house and Hebrew roots as well. So then, what's messianic? And this is the this is the thing that I'm starting to realize. Messianic as a whole, whether you and I want to uh, admit it or not, messianic tends to have a theology associated with it. And it's what you were just talking about. The MJAA and the UMJC, they all which are the two biggest groups, uh two biggest international groups within the within the world today that are quote unquote messianic. They all come out of charismatic faith. They all come out of Pentecostal charismatic faith, Christianity. And, and the, yeah, that that Pentecostal charismatic element there uh, is what it, it seems holds, to go. It, it seems to go with the free will idea, right? Yeah, it's, it's Arminian theology. I know by my own experience. Therefore, I must be choosing. Somehow, these are all tied together. And that's the thing is that this lady who on Facebook, she said that she's she had tried a bunch of different churches. She hadn't found anyone who said that we had to, to keep, you know, keep God's commands. Well, honestly, if she's Hebrew roots or Messianic and she's coming out of the church, chances are that she's probably, I mean, maybe not. But maybe I would assume probably Assemblies of God, or I would assume Charismatic or Pentecostal in some way. And all these things have done the same thing. Now, not so much in the UMJC, but the MJAA, as well as the Hebrew Roots, they've come out of these charismatic uh, groups, and they have rejected sound scholarship and knowledge. It's about feeling now. It's not, you know, you have all these Hebrew Roots and Messianic people calling uh, seminaries, cemeteries, saying that, uh, you know, the church is way off. Why would you ever learn from these people? All, you know. All this kind of stuff. They're rejecting good biblical scholarship and good biblical practice. And even within the UMJC, when you look at the scholarship of the guys within the UMJ, the head guys within the UMJC who are doing work, uh, you know, writing books, Kinzer, Rudolph, and these guys. Now, granted, these guys are, are super nice guys, and I'm not saying they, they don't love the Lord, but they are not doing due diligence when it comes to scholarship. However, that what they are doing is they're putting forward books like Introduction to Messianic Judaism. So they are the ones who are now they're perpetu they're perpetuating a picture, and that's like why, why that book that that Zondervan book Introduction to Messianic Judaism is really it's kind of a joke on them uh, on Zondervan. They they don't realize it's a it's a, really an introduction to the UMJC. That's right. They, they don't have any diversity of voice. They're yeah, but, all, okay, but I, I agree with you, but at the same time... Or very narrow diversity of voice. It's but much more broader. But don't you think that the UMJC has the ability to make that, make that? I mean, they interact in that book with the MJAA as well. And those are the two major Messianic groups. When we talk about Messianic Judaism, if we're going to look at the, the what I would say is 80 to 90%, and maybe I'm way off. I don't have any hard numbers on this. And yes, the... the uh, the chat room is now uh, saying that we're, we're using way too many blanket statements. I agree. But the question is, is when we use blanket statements like the word messianic, when we use – this is exactly what I'm talking to. When we, when, we talk, when we use words like messianic, when we use words like Hebrew roots, the question is, what is the majority of people 
out there thinking. Now, I know that it's going to be different when you're talking to someone who's a Christian as opposed to when you're talking to someone who's in either the Hebrew roots or the Messianic movement. However, when we look at the Messianic movement, when we're talking about the two major groups, the MJAA and the UMJC, as those major groups, sure. if, they, if they are the largest and, the, and they represent the most uh, the norm or the most of the people within, uh, within Messianic Judaism, then can't we say that their theology somewhat encapsulates what the majority of Messianic Judaism believes? And if that's the case, if that's the case, then can't we say that the Messianic Hebrew roots is basically holds to an Arminian theology, a free will theology? Now, I know I got friends and uh, we got people who listen to this show who will do to, uh, to Arminian theology. So I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that's not... Oh, let's use a term that's being thrown around a lot now. That's not how I identify right now. I don't identify as Arminian. Now, my dad and I have been talking for the past two weeks, too, about what reform theology is. I can't say that I necessarily agree with reform theology either. Reason being that within the reform theology, what do you have? You have uh, you have a lot of uh, re- replacement theology and or covenant theology and or dispensational theology. And I, d- I basically reject all of those. Robert has a really good question. Go for and it. He, he's, he's speaking in the, in the chat room and he's speaking as a Pentecostal. And I appreciate him. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't feel I'm glad he's here. <laughs> Robert, I'm glad you're here. I don't, I don't want this to be hostile to anybody. Is in what we're talking oh, about. Uh, yeah, oh, wait, but wait, he does wait. point out, he says, he says, we're not all feeling based. But then he says, a really good question. I never thought about it before, and I appreciate this question, Robert. Why is it that the Pentecostals are, according to our observations, the ones that the, those Christians, he has Christians, those who are most likely to take on Torah observance? I like that. I think that's a great question. If, if it's a true, what I'm hearing Robert ask here is, if really we look out into what we call the, quote, messianic or even Hebrew roots movements, and we see a predominance of people from a charismatic or Pentecostal kind of background, sure. how do we, what, from just a sociological perspective, you know, if we step back, what attributes that? And I think one, I, I only have limited uh, knowledge, you know, so I, but I would suggest if we trace back we trace back the movement of like what became Jews for Jesus, for example, you know, back over a hundred years and look at how evangelism was conducted in, uh, to Jews over the last hundred years in America. Yeah. Somehow, I think that there was a, that it tapped in not only when we saw fruit among Jewish communities coming to faith in Yeshua in America, say a hundred years ago. But over time, when, when it kind of what started out as not obligatory Torah observance, but we're going to use, we're going to start doing things that Jews do. This is Jewish believers and Gentile believers starting to do Jewish things in order to connect with Jews who didn't know Yeshua. What they found over time was Gentiles really loved, like, loved this. There was a connection there. And that I think that well, of course, because they 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 were starting to actually do things that the Lord has commanded. It brings you closer to the Creator. And I think they tasted the blessings. And it and it could be that uh, those who are brought up in a Pentecostal or or a charismatic environment 
have their ear attuned to things that are spiritual, generally. Absolutely. And actually, you know... And the Torah, Paul says, the Torah is spiritual. Right? I, don't, I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm putting down necessarily the Pentecostal movement. Okay, there are some great things that have come out of... Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown is... Dr. Uh, Brown. And there, there are some great things that have come out of the charismatic Pentecostal movement. In fact, I went to a Pentecostal church for four years in my high school years, uh, uh, and it was a local Pentecostal church here, so Assemblies of God, actually. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that there, there are some really, really great believers within the Pentecostal movement. And here's one thing that I know for myself that I realized about Pentecostal versus non-denominational, which is what I was a part of growing up, uh, or Baptist or Lutheran or any of these other uh, evangelical denominations. One of the things that I've realized is that there's the Pentecostal movement, although some of the time, not all the time, although some of the time they uh, rely, in my opinion, too much on feeling, how does it feel as opposed to what we know? I feel like a lot of the other uh, a lot of the other evangelical denominations have gone the opposite direction, which is we can't. It's almost the idea of we can't feel anything. That would be charismatic. That would be that would be Pentecostal. So we can't feel anything. Instead, it's all knowledge based. We'll sing a hymn. We'll close the hymn book. We'll sit down. We'll listen to the exposition of the pastor. Um, and then that's it. Uh, don't raise your hand while you're singing, because we don't want people to think that uh, you know the the spirit is moving in some Pentecostal way. That's not true. You know, so I certainly believe that there there is a happy medium. I think that that, that good feeling and good uh, supernatural experience is just fine as long as it is based on the scriptures, and on truth. And unfortunately, I think that many times within uh, certain parts of the Pentecostal slash charismatic movement, we have uh, we've moved way too far into the experiential feeling of things as opposed to... So I'm once again, I, I want uh, Robert and others to know who are listening to this, I'm not putting down the Pentecostal movement. What I'm saying is, is that within the, uh, the Pentecostal slash charismatic movement. What I would say the majority of that movement tends to lean towards a free will understanding of the scriptures to an Arminian viewpoint of the scriptures. And we've talked about this before. I think that it's no, it's no secret that Rob and I both hold to... At, now, once again, we're getting into broad terms here, so let's try to maybe hone it in a little bit. I would say that when it comes to God's sovereignty, I hold to the 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 tulip the five the you know the the response to arminian yeah yeah the response to the arminianism five, the five points however i think that it is interesting that we have uh that we have uh well yeah um okay so i've been looking a little bit more deeply into reform theology can i say that i believe in reform theology I don't think that I can just come out and say I believe in Reformed theology. But the question is why? And when we talk back to this Hebrew Roots Messianic thing, I think one of the reasons that people think that we're so hard on Hebrew Roots Messianic is because we don't agree with them. It would be like if we were constantly talking about uh, the Jehovah's Witness or, uh, you know, now that maybe that's a bad example because they reject, you know, a core doctrine. However, many within the Messianic movement now are rejecting Sola Scriptura, or, uh, you know, other core doctrines. 
And so one of the reasons that I think that we're so harsh on the Hebrew roots and Messianic is because I don't feel like I'm necessarily a part of it. Now, I certainly believe that we're sanctified through God's Torah, but I think that, that most Christians agree with that too, save a couple of, of – of, uh, and granted, their main issues – the Sabbath, festivals, kosher, these are big issues. They, they, they're they not the biggest issues, but they are big issues. So I'm not trying to downplay. Um, I have never met a, a Penta-Calvinist. <laughs> ah, nice. Word of the day. Word of the day, Penta-Calvinist. Penta-Calvinist. I like it. I, I wish we had but I a... Think in, I think in a way, that's what I am. <laughs> I think I just got my la- – that's my new box there. Thanks, Penta- Adam. Penta-Calvinist? I'm a Penta – if someone asks me what I am. So, okay. One, one of the, yeah. One of the things that, uh, that I – Because Penta could be Pentateuch. Uh, ah. Oh. And Pentecost, 50 days, five books, 50 days. You do the math. <laughs> um. I guess the point is, is that, you know, back to this idea of who would I recommend in the Messianic slash Hebrew Roots world? And I guess the answer is, I wouldn't. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a couple of good scholars and people who do justice to the text. For instance, J.K. McGee. However, he's a staunch Arminian. He holds the Arminian theology staunchly. And he leans a little bit to house. Even though he's, I would, you know. I think it's got to be. That's great. I, I, I think it's got to be fields or, or idea specific, topic specific. I'm not going to just blanket recommend. I, I want to know what somebody's interested in. What specific topic are they wanting to learn about? Then I would help them build a bibliography that I would recommend. I wouldn't just. Okay, but that's but okay, great point, and that's that is the uh, that's the point that I'm trying to come to. When it, when someone comes to me and they says and they say, "Who would you recommend?" I go to and listen to. I I got a couple for you. You ready? John Piper, Alistair Bag, John MacArthur. In some cases, right? When I would say comes, NT. I would say listen NT to right. NT right. It's yeah. easily accessible. There's hours and hours of lectures online. You can read stuff online. But my and point, I, but that's and I my, would always say, no matter who it is, I'm saying you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to chew on it. You're gonna have to compare, and it's gonna be some work. But that's what discipleship is: is you're interacting and you're developing, you're finding where rock is, and you're gonna be built so you can build on rock from where you are. And if you, if someone's coming to me and say, "Who should I read? Who should I read?" What that's like a sign on their head that says, "I all I know, all I'm finding is sand. I don't know where to build." I'm like, okay, you got to start digging, and you got to keep digging, and don't start building until you find rock. And I want, and I'll help you dig and find rock. But that's that's just it. Is that the okay? When we're talking about Kaiser, the, yeah, Walter yeah, Kaiser. Ki- Walter Kaiser, yeah, Kaiser, Kaiser, Kaiser. <laughs> the chat room, Walter Kaiser, and that's just it. Is that we Walter- were headed for some deep mischief? If <laughs> yes, we didn't <laughs> mention oh Kaiser. man. Uh, I wish I, my soundboard was up and running right now. It's it is up and running. I just don't. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see here. I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. Okay, but the point is, is that when it comes to theological issues, when it comes to foundational core beliefs, when it comes to the the scriptures, the Word of God, and ex, you know, going in exegeting the scriptures for everyday life and 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 loving your neighbor as yourself. 
these men do very well. And not only that, but they're not going to tell you you can just go do whatever you want. They believe in sanctification as well, right? They believe in this idea, and so did the Reformers. Look at John Calvin's uh, exposition of the end of, of, uh, of Romans 6, where it says that sanctification leads to eternal life. What does that mean? Did I just misquote that? Hang on just a sec. Let's look. Okay, so he says in 22, he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So look at some of the reformers and even modern day scholarship. Uh, you know, John Piper, Alice Vega, you know, Walter Kaiser. Are they going to tell you that uh, sanctification doesn't matter? No, of course it does. So I think we're quibbling over terms. Now, when it comes to implementing Torah observance within and building Torah observance as the form of sanctification into the life of a believer, then yes, I believe Torah resource is uh, the educational uh, leader in doing that for Jew and Gentile. Right? Okay, so listen to this, though. We got, there's more, and I know that we've hit an hour, but I don't really care. Um, so I was looking at this book, Against Calvinism. It's, uh, you can find it in Accordance Bible Software. It's also online. I don't know, you know, I started reading it because I wanted to hear some of the, um, some of the expositions against the theology that I have uh, basically said I, I believe in. Um, so the, the person who wrote this, uh, and some good writing here, uh, says, uh, soon after I began teaching theology, an eager young student followed me to my office and asked to speak privately with me. Without hesitation, I invited him in to sit down nice to my desk and tell me what was on his mind. He leaned toward me and with earnest countenance said, Professor Olson, I don't think you are a Christian. Needless to say, I was somewhat taken back. Why is that? I asked. Because you're not a Calvinist, came his reply. I asked him where he got the idea that only a Calvinist can be a Christian, and he named a leading pastor and author whose church he attended. The pastor and author has since become world famous for his promotion of high Calvinism, and we'll get into some of this in the coming weeks. I encouraged my students to go back and talk with his pastor about this matter, and I confirmed my confidence in, a, in being a Christian because of my faith in Jesus Christ. The student never did recant re, uh, his charge that I was not a Christian. Years later, however, the pastor did deny that he ever taught that only Calvinists could be Christians. So this kind of thing goes on. So now tying this in with, the, with what we uh, read from this lady who is claiming to be Torah observant, whether or not she claims to be Messianic or Hebrew roots, I don't know. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. If you don't hold to my kind of theology, then you're not in. And I'm not, I don't want anyone here to hear me saying that uh, if you hold to Arminian theology, you're not saved or any such nonsense as that. Um, I have plenty of good and great brothers and sisters in the Lord. I used to hold to Arminian theology uh, quite staunchly, as a matter of fact. So uh, I'm not saying that, that people who hold to such theology are not saved. 
This gentleman goes on in this book against Calvinism. He says these terms and the categories they attempt to name are slippery in spite of the existence of the WCRC. That's the World Communion of Reformed Churches. There is no worldwide magisterium. Uh, that's a formal authority, that has the power to decide who is and who is not Reformed or Calvinist. Practically speaking, anyone can apply these labels to themselves. So he's right. He's 100% on on this. In any way they want to, and no one can do anything about it except reject their claims. Of course, some, some denominations, churches, and other Christian organizations have their own litmus tests for determining who within them is genuinely Calvinist or Reform, or both. One traditional approach is to identify as Reform-only persons and groups that confess the three symbols of unity, that is, the statements of faith. Those are the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, and the Canons of Dort. And we're going to talk about these in a second. But that excludes Presbyterians, most of whom identify their tradition as Reform, and the WCRC includes many Presbyterian groups. Presbyterians adhere to the Westminster Confession of Faith written by British Calvinists in 1648, largely on the basis of the previously mentioned three symbols of unity. Um, I have one little more little excerpt here. Notably missing from the list are from the list of the WCRC are uh, any Baptist churches. And yet, as early, earlier noted, many of the young restless, young restless reform leaders are Baptists. The exclusion of Baptists from the WCRC more than hints that Reformed Christians worldwide do not consider Reformed Baptist a historically accurate label. Of course, Reformed Baptists and others can always say that the WCRC has no authority to decide who is and who is not Reformed, and that's true. It is interesting, however, that the WCRC excludes Baptists, but includes many such as the Waldensians and the Remonstrants, Remonstrants, who do not consider themselves Calvinist. And the reason this is interesting is because I would say that I feel as though I uh, lean way more towards uh, the Anabaptist idea and the Baptist idea than I do uh, to anything else. So if I was, uh, you know, I was telling Rob this the other day too, and stop me at any time here, Rob, but I was telling Rob the other day, you know, my my father often talks about the time that he went to a, uh, a two-house uh, uh, convention or whatever uh, conference, and uh, he walked in to deliver some product, and they had all they had these twelve flags in this auditorium, and the people said, uh, "Okay, if you you know," they they were talking to the crowd, and they said, "You know, we want you to go stand underneath what flag you think, what tribe you think you're you're from." Oh, they're the tribes of Israel. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. So you know they're two house. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, you know, so so so, and then if you if you don't know, come tell, talk to us. We'll we'll be able to figure it out for you. You know, is your favorite color green? Ah, uh, you're from Asher. Uh, you know, are you left handed? Up, uh, you're from Dan. Do you He's, like corned beef? Exactly. That means you're from Ireland. That means you must be. <laughs> do you like sailing on the ocean? You must be from the tribe of Dan because they were in ships. I think. Yeah. Okay. So, so with this in your mind, now let's reformat the uh, this picture that we've we've made now. Now make it for general denominations. You know, you have so you got a group of believers. Some are wearing, Calvinists on this side. Armenians. Uh, no, I'm, I'm thinking even I'm thinking even more more specific. Okay, you got guys wearing yarmulkes like me. Okay, there's a bunch of guys wearing yarmulkes and wearing tzitzit. Okay, and then you got you know guys with the collars. 
and you got guys with, uh, you know, all, all different kinds of people. Okay. And then your flags have things like Messianic Judaism slash Hebrew roots or just Messianic Judaism. Let's say Messianic Judaism here. And then you have, you know, Lutheran, Baptist, uh, you know, uh, Episcopal, Church of England, Catholic. Okay. And they say to everybody, go stand underneath what you identify with. I cannot see myself going and standing underneath the Messianic flag at this point in my life. What I can see myself doing is going and standing with the Baptists. Not because I agree with them 100%, but because I feel like I agree with them most when it comes to theology. What are you laughing at? (laughs) Someone in the chat room said, what if you're a a vegan French-Canadian? What tribe is that? I said, I think it's, I think Zebulun was for vegetarians, but Levites ate meat. So you're definitely not a Levite. <laughs> and Reuben, the Reuben sandwich. Sorry. Oh, you, you yeah, can't, yeah. You can't. No, no, corned can't beef. So. Okay. So basically, uh, now I hope this has set this up. And next week when we send out show notes, show notes will probably be the same thing. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the, now we talked about these, uh, the three symbols of unity. That is. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confe- uh, Confession, and the Canons of Dort. So we're going to talk a little bit about these different uh, these different things. We're going to start looking at some of them, and uh, then after we look at some of them and go through some of them and see where we do agree and where we don't agree, because I don't want people to think that we're just going to lay down and say we agree with everything in these things. No, we'll we'll go through and and look at some of them. Uh, after that, I also want to look at the Baptist, uh, the Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. Um, and so I hope in the coming weeks what we can do, because I know that we've gotten a lot of flack for constantly attacking the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement. I don't think that's necessarily going to stop, um, because if, you, if you're going to teach bad theology, we're willing to stand up and say that you have bad theology. However, what I do want to do is I kind of want to establish for our listeners and for the people who who listen on a regular basis, I want to establish where we're coming from, what our biblical worldview is, you know, how we're approaching the scriptures, why we're approaching them that way. And I think that going through some of these things will not only solidify them for us ourselves and be able to help us understand reform theology better and what we want to re- what we have to reject from reform exactly. theology exactly just like we we're talking about scholarship in general scholarship in general it is on us it is our responsibility as disciples of yeshua in this day and age to to be informed about the traditions that and that's not even just you know we might think a lot in the messianic circles of oh, jewish traditions that's part of our study as well, but traditions within Christian history and understanding the issues, where does sola scriptura come from? Why is that even a term? What is the five points of Calvinism? Why are these even a term? And then looking, like you're pointing out, Caleb, looking at some of these the confessions, these concords, you know, these publications that unified groups of people in critical moments of history in the last several hundred years, whereby they define what they are asserting as the proper way to read and understand their life of faith. And we're, we have all this information coming at us in the world, and in order to grow in wisdom and discernment, we need to learn how to see what's good and hold to what's good and to let go of what's not. 
And that we're all, that's on us, on each of us as individuals. And what I'm excited is that, our, that in Rob Cable Show, we'll just ample, we'll turn up the volume on, on that part of what we do here, is to interact with uh, scholarship received from earlier generations, as well as scholarship like we're talking about Dr. Tilling, you know, and others that are currently writing and pushing and refining knowledge. Knowledge will always be limited, but we, but that shouldn't, we shouldn't shy away from making assertions just because, you know, we're going to just say, oh, well, we can't know everything. We're not claiming to know everything. We want to be good stewards of the minds and hearts that God's given us, and that means study and sh- to show ourselves approved, you know, to sharpen our swords. Well, the other thing is this. I've got something to share. You have something to share. It's not just that we come on this show and, and, uh, and down people. The fact of the matter is, is that I preach Christ crucified, risen, ascended, and continually making intercession for his elect. Amen, amen. And so uh, you can think that it's all, it's all attack, attack, attack. What I am attacking is the things that I believe have gone ac- against the scriptures. Now, granted, if you look at anything in the Hebrew roots slash Messianic movement, at this point in time, and you basically say... Um, I have a question about this. Chances are in the past 125 shows that we've done, we've probably touched on it somewhere. And so this is why I think that it's good for us to try to turn now and look at some of the things that, you know, uh, within the Messiah, I I really think that there's this disdain and almost hate towards Christianity, a blanket Christianity within the Hebrew roots slash Messianic movement today. Now, I understand, I've said this before, I understand some of that, because we, you know, coming out of the church, you feel like you've been lied to uh, you, about God's sanctif- the way God sanctifies his elect. So I understand that. Um, however, I think that throwing the baby out with the bathwater is not a good idea. And I think that what we need to do is we need to really uh, look hard at what we believe and why we believe it. And so I hope that everyone will uh, join us as we take a journey around uh, what we think is, well, what we, what we might see as the beginning creeds of the Reformation. Why were they the beginning creeds of the Reformation? Do we agree or disagree? Anything else you want to talk about before we get going here, Rob? Nope. Good to be back. That's it. It is really good to be back. We hope that you've gained something from uh, this, uh, this discussion that we've had. We're going to kick it off hardcore next week with a look at, uh, well, some of the history, first and foremost, of how these things came about, the arguments that were going on in the 15 and 1600s brought about some of these some of these uh, theologies, uh, theological statements is what we should say. Um, so, yeah. Uh, in the meantime, if you would do us a favor, please remember to put Rob and me on your prayer list. We really, really, really appreciate uh, the prayers of uh, the people that, that listen to us. Uh, we uh, we certainly can use any prayer that you <laughs> have for us. Uh, so please remember to put us on your prayer list. And and basically, our, here's what we pray for, just so you can pray along with us, is that Yeshua's flock gets fed with the good food of his word. That's right. That's it. That's, base, that's the core. Absolutely. So we hope that uh, you've enjoyed all this, and we hope that you will join us next week as we come together to try to do one thing, that is uplift our great, God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.